0: Hello from Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard.
1: And I'm Clark Corbin.
0: And we're in that kind of time of the year where it's sort of still summer, but it's sort of starting to be fall, football season starting. We're into that Labor Day, waning days of summer. And can't really tell if it's election season or not, at least judging from what we saw coming out of the uh, the, the state superintendent's office these past couple of days. Clark, you've been following this convoluted mess from, from the state superintendent's office. Uh, give us the skinny and we'll go from there Kind
1: of a wild couple days this week Kevin, I guess I'll just kind of start chronologically to give people an idea mm-hmm. of Because yeah. I think how this story came together is part of the story yeah. And then the we'll Chronology sort of, is
0: key to making sense of all of this So yeah, let's start yeah. at the beginning And then we'll
1: sort of break down what happened and, and maybe what it means But started out middle of the week uh, I was looking to do a story basically talking about how the superintendent's race hasn't really gotten off the ground yet Especially compared to the governor's mm-hmm. race, mm-hmm. lieutenant governor's race, which we'll talk about in a minute, right. uh, the the race for the seat in the first congressional district, and yeah, so- real races where real money's being raised, and you've got campaigns, and
0: you know, staff, and and you know, the makings of an actual election going on.
1: Yeah, we already know the superintendent's race was off to a little bit of a slow start, at least in terms of fundraising. So I was trying sure. to do a little research. Uh, to document just kind of how this is different from, say, the governor's race. And so I was looking around Wednesday morning at some campaign websites, and I found Superintendent Ybarra's website, which I was familiar with before. It's the same website um, that she used in 2014, but I went to it, and it hadn't been updated since she won in 2014. And it wasn't just that it was out of date. At that point, it was almost a little bit misleading. It identified uh, a previous campaign treasurer, whereas... Official documents on file with the state uh, identified somebody more current. Uh, It identified it had old endorsements, uh, at least one of which no longer uh, applies at this point. Mm -hmm. It it had some old contacts of people uh, from the campaign in 2014 that are no longer a part of the campaign and no longer associated with Ybarra. So it was just sort of old and misleading. And so I called.
0: And now we get to the reason why we've got a 2014 campaign website
1: still active in 2017. Well, there is no campaign at this (laughs) point. Oh, well,
0: there we go. Uh,
1: So what happened was I I called the State Department of Education and asked about the website and actually had a chance to talk to Superintendent Ibarra on Mm -hmm. Wednesday, and she said, I haven't updated the website because I'm not campaigning. I haven't made my formal announcement. There's no campaign. And she really said... Um, that she was focusing on kids and the job at hand right now. And she had two big tasks that she wanted to get through, uh, finalizing her upcoming budget request for the 18-19 school year. Which did happen today yep. on a Friday, and we'll get to that later. And now. that did happen, and also finalizing the uh, Every Student Succeeds Act compliance plan that I've been talking about and writing about all summer. And so I was like, okay, it seems to make sense. She's got two big goals in mind. She wants to finish those up, uh, take care of the job at hand, and then worry about the campaign a little bit later. Fair enough, right? Right, so move along, nothing to see, nothing's happening on the campaign front, right? Yeah,
0: nothing's Mm, happening.
1: And then all of a sudden, an hour after I published my story saying the campaign's on hold, uh, her community relations director... Uh, from the State Department of Education, a guy named Chuck Zimmerle sends out emails to superintendents and dozens of school administrators all across the state saying, Superintendent Ibarra is updating her campaign website and she wants to ask you for support. And so there's a couple things where it's like... There's a lot to unwrap here now. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on here? Number one, not only did the superintendent specifically say she's not updating the website and not working on the campaign, but this guy, Chuck Zimmerly, prominently identified himself as the community relations director for the state department of education and he used a state issued email address actually an Idaho state university email right. address to send this out and so
0: and that's where it starts to get a little bit a little bit sketchy because you're getting into that area of you know is this politicking that crosses the line into using public resources and public position as a as a vehicle for for politicking.
1: That was that was a big part of the issue uh, for me, and it's something that we get into. Idaho law sort of addresses this. Idaho law basically prohibits uh, any classified employees of a state department or agency from engaging in politicking using state resources, using things that are funded. By the taxpayers, and that sort of makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. One candidate or an incumbent doesn't matter who it is should not be able to use taxpayer-funded resources like computers, like email um, systems, like um, um, uh, so. Anyways, the the whole idea is, is that there should not be. taxpayers should not be paying for campaign materials for one candidate over another, Mm -hmm. right? It gets a little bit tricky here because Chuck Zimmerly technically is a contractor, not a classified state employee, but there's laws on the books to prevent this sort of thing uh, from happening. And And this
0: did not go out on the STE email address. It went out on his Idaho State University email address as a retired ISU employee. So that's where it gets... Even sketchier. Yeah,
1: it it does. And I just want to read from the email real quick. It was rather brief, but Zimmerly wrote, The superintendent is in the process of updating her campaign website and is asking if any of you who feel so inclined, if she might use your name on her webpage, supporting her and the work she has done over the last several years as the superintendent. And so I understand that he supports her, but the other thing is some of the people that received that email, they may have felt like... It was sort of coming from their boss in a way. They may view Superintendent Ybarra as their boss. They may view Chuck Zimmerle as their boss. And so that gets kind of a a little ticklish, right? Right, right. And and
0: obviously the email uh, resonated with folks uh, because I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here to say, we got this from several sources before I mean, moved, seven a.m. It moved quickly. Yeah. I mean, uh, we each got a text uh, before seven a.m. Uh, with the the first uh, the first leak of this thing. Uh, but there were multiple uh, sources that provided this uh, to us and to you. So uh, a, a lot a lot of buzz about this, and not necessarily all good buzz, because. Uh, you know, as it turned out, uh, and, and as you wrote about, uh,
1: Zimmerly was reprimanded for
0: sending the thing out in the first
1: place. Yeah, apparently the a school superintendent alerted uh, Superintendent Ibarra's communications director about this about 7.30 a.m. on Thursday. Uh, her spokesman told me that Superintendent Ibarra immediately called Chuck Zimmerly and said, You can't do this. Um, what he said was, Ibarra made it very clear to Zimmerli in no uncertain terms that any campaigning is absolutely forbidden in any of our official capacities or on state property or using state resources. And and so Zimmerly was reprimanded. He sent out a follow-up email later yeah, on Thursday. Kind of a mea culpa uh, late Thursday afternoon. He yep. described it as an embarrassing faux pas. He said he should have never used his state email address. He wanted to apologize to everybody and let them know that he was going to be using a private email address uh, for any of these things going forward. So it was a little bit bizarre. You know, three hours earlier on Wednesday, Ybarra had said the campaign's not is on hold. I'm not even thinking about that right now. We're not updating the website. Then this big campaign push asking for political favors from superintendents comes out three hours later. And it's like, what is going on here? Um, but I, I tended to Attempted to track it all down. We've published the email itself, if you want to see mm-hmm. that. Uh, the reaction from uh, Yibara's office. They Supposedly they're going to be talking to their staff about how to handle kind of differentiating between their official work, it's the State Department of Education and any campaign-related work, which should be given directly to Yibara or at a point when she launches her campaign, uh, her campaign staff. But I guess, also, if you take what she said... What Superintendent Ibarra said literally: there is only one candidate in the race for superintendent right now, and that's Jeff Dillon, the Republican superintendent from the Wilder School District, right. right, Kevin? Well, yeah.
0: I mean, if if she really is suspending running a campaign right now, that that would leave Dillon, who really is not running a very active campaign. I know he made the rounds at the fairs this summer, uh, but you know, his has been kind of a low-key campaign. So, so let's. Let's take a step back now and look at what our lineup is right now and what we know about this race and what I feel like we don't know. So we know uh, Jeff Dillon has filed his paperwork he's in. If you take what uh, Sherry Ibarra told you on Wednesday, you know, she is saying that she's still planning to run, that she's going to do an announcement in September yep. and, and, you know, that she's honoring what she said back in 15 that she's going to run for re-election. So we have those two. We don't have a Democrat filed in this race. We surely will. I mean, this is if you're if you're Democrats in, in Idaho, you got to look at this as the the one race that's probably the most attainable. Uh, you know, almost won this race in 2014. It's the last race Democrats uh, have won statewide. Granted, that goes back to 06, but this feels like a race that the Democrats would would definitely challenge and and maybe put some money into. It. And we talked about this in the office. This is sort of you know, us chatting around the water cooler or you know, have a water cooler. But if we had a water cooler, we'd be talking <laughs> around it. I don't feel like we know everything. And, and that's always the case with an election. But it just feels like there's more under the surface right now. It's It's a weird race right now.
1: This was a weird week. It was a weird week for that race. It started off as a fairly innocuous thing. Hey, the website hasn't been updated. And it morphed into this bizarre situation that kind of got worse and worse and worse as each hour passed. But yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot we don't know. Um, this still felt a little weird um, with how this was handled this week. But
0: It became a two-day story for a campaign that isn't really campaigning. That's not, uh, that's not a good look.
1: No, it, it sure isn't. But I agree with you. I don't think we've seen uh, the complete roster of candidates uh, that will be in this race. And we may see a major name uh, enter this race. There are still just over eight months to go uh, until the primaries, um, you know. And so I think the interest in the governor's race, lieutenant governor's race, and the first congressional district really jump-started many of the campaigns a little bit earlier than folks are used to seeing here in Idaho. Uh, and while those are often and running and money is flowing to those races, I don't think the su- superintendent's race has really picked up, except for these oddball developments this week right and when
0: you have an incumbent in this case sherry Barra, who is basically saying on the record to a reporter i'm not campaigning and i'm not looking at a campaign and i'm going to be doing that uh mid-september or so i'm going to focus my attention you're sending a signal to would-be challengers out there that you know the,
1: yeah. The door is open. The door is
0: open. This is not a campaign that is uh, fully running. It's not a campaign that's raised a lot of money. We've we've written about that. That she hasn't raised much money. Dylan hasn't raised much money. If you're a, a candidate on the fence, you might be looking at all that, saying, you know, this is a winnable race. I mean, it, it's just it's it's weird. It's been a, a, a unusual uh, race to to watch, and it isn't even a race
1: yet. I have a prediction. It's going to get weirder. There's going to be more bizarre stuff between now, certainly, and November 2018, but between now and May as well. Yeah, the
0: prediction of more weirdness is not a hot take. I think that's <laughs> I think it's, Except as a given, we will have more weirdness, and we'll be on top of the weirdness as it unfolds.
1: Real quick, a couple other races going on. You've got a project where you are interviewing some of the candidates for statewide races, talking specifically about education issues. Can you give us a preview Uh, or or give us a little insight into your latest project. Yeah, we'll be
0: running some of those stories out here in the next uh, couple of weeks. In fact, uh, starting next week, I've had a chance to sit down and talk to two of the Republicans running the first CD, uh, State Representative Luke Malik, former Lieutenant Governor and Attorney General David Leroy. We've had those interviews. We'll be posting those stories with uh, with video from those candidates. I have an appointment with uh, Lieutenant Governor Brad Little next week, so we'll be running that story shortly. Uh, sitting down later this month with uh, Congressman Raul Labrador to talk about his gubernatorial campaign. And we're just trotting these out early in the race to just give you a flavor of where these uh, folks stand on education topics. It's not going to be a comprehensive interview on all topics. We really did want to drill down to education issues uh, at the federal level in the case of the congressional race, and certainly at the state level uh, when we look at the gubernatorial race.
1: It sounds good. I'm glad that you're on the case, and I'm glad that you are making education issues a part of the race and zeroing in and homing in on those issues. I, I think that's a great service. Folks can watch the website, www.idahoednews.org, yep. in the coming weeks uh, for your coverage there. I want to talk about get back to education issues. Um One of the big topics in the state has always been uh, the go-on rate, what students Mm -hmm. are doing after they finish their high school careers. We had uh, some new numbers come out this week, Kevin. Maybe a little bit of reason uh, to be optimistic, uh, but tell me about the new numbers and tell me sort of about how uh, the go-on rate has kind of been uh, a a changing yardstick when we look at the last year's numbers.
0: The new numbers from the State Board of Education... uh, It indicates that there's maybe been some improvement in the go-on rate, and this is one of those metrics that a lot of folks around the state have been paying very close attention to. When there's all this talk about uh, getting more students to go to college and complete a post-secondary education, that go-on rate right out of high school is something that people have been watching very closely. The new numbers from the state board for the class of 16 indicate that 48% of those graduates went basically straight on to college. Within 12 months of getting their high school diploma, they were in a post-secondary program. 48% isn't a huge percent when you're thinking about trying to get a 60% graduation rate. But 48% is higher than the snapshot that they had, uh, the State Board received a year ago for the class of 15. That snapshot back last summer for class of 15 was at 46%. So 48% is an improvement from 46%. But these numbers are very fluid, and that's kind of my takeaway talking to the state board about these numbers, because that 46% from 2015, it's actually 51%. So you've had some improvement, you've had some increase, and what happens here is the state board works, they look at the databases from the universities, they talk to guidance counselors at the high school level to try to track kids down, they work through uh, the National Student Clearinghouse, which is a nonprofit uh, out of Virginia, to get a sense of who's enrolled in out-of-state schools, private schools, for-profit schools, and you mash all those numbers together, and 46% turned into 51%. We don't know what the mashup will be from this 48% figure that we just saw this week. If you see an increase similar to what you saw last year, you know, you, you would you, know, you would see a 48% figure maybe hit 53%, right? Sure. But we don't know yet. That might happen. That might not happen. We'll, we'll just kind of track the numbers. But again, you know, what we saw with these numbers is, uh, you know, when you dig down into these numbers, you saw some very uh, traditional uh, socioeconomic issues coming into play here. Uh, some districts did better than others, as you might expect. Some of the, uh, the districts that uh, are a little bit more affluent Uh, did a little bit better. Coeur d'Alene was one of the the higher-performing districts and the highest-performing big district in terms of go-on rate. Some of the districts with higher poverty rates, Nampa, Caldwell, Valley View, the numbers were a little bit lower. Numbers were a little bit lower in the Bonneville School District, but you expect that because these immediate go-on rates, these are kids straight out of high school going to college. A lot of graduates from Bonneville and high schools in eastern Idaho choose to go on a church mission.
1: That is a great point. People always ask us every time we do a go-on story if we're aware uh, of the missionary population and how that affects uh, go-on rates in eastern Idaho. Yes, we're absolutely sure. aware of it. And yes, uh, the State Department of Education and State Board of Education are absolutely aware of it. And right. they track these things. And, you know,
0: When you look at these numbers, and we really take pains to do this, whether it's go-on rates or test scores, you have to look at these mitigating mm-hmm. factors. You have to look at the socioeconomics, whether it's uh, church missions or poverty rates that do tend to affect uh, go-on, that do tend to affect student performance.
1: We know there's uh, you know, young men and young women who join the armed services, mm-hmm. who join the military at- uh, after high school. We know that. So it is a snapshot, it, and it's one that we break down into
0: some detail. If you go to Ida8news.org, you can see my stories this week. Looking at the statewide numbers and statewide reaction, and looking at some of the district level data.
1: So, so check that out. And real quick, before we move on from that topic, you mentioned the distinction just briefly, but uh, real quickly, talk about how the go on rate is is related to but different than the state's flagship sixty percent goal. Just real quickly, yes, help they're, folks they're, understand they're, that they're 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 not apples and oranges. Uh,
0: the go-on rate is simply a measure of how many students went on. <laughs> yeah. it, it's a college enrollment metric, and it's an immediate college enrollment metric. The 60% rate is a post-secondary completion rate. So it reflects students who didn't just go on. They went on and completed a either a two-year degree or a four-year degree, some sort of a post-secondary degree. So... Uh, that figure will factor in students who came in later. Yep. They went to school after a mission or serving in the military or working for a year or two. Uh, that number will reflect uh, negatively uh, dropouts. I mean, you know, yep. kids who went on but dropped out, they're not going to show up in that, uh, in that completion rate. So go-on rates are an indicator of what may be going on in terms of students going into the post-secondary pipeline. It's not necessarily... A direct uh, indicator of what you're going to see in terms of the completion rates because you've still got to have you know, kids stay through the system, uh, persevere academically, financially, all of those factors.
1: And when we talk about relationship to the flagship goal, we know that we're not in Idaho going to meet the 60% completion goal by 2020. Uh, and, and one of the reasons, just real simple terms, why we know that, hard to get a 60% plus completion rate if you've got 48%, 51% of kids going on. Exactly. And, and it's one
0: of many reasons why this higher education task force that we've been watching, this group has abandoned the idea of a 2020 target. They they want to get to 60%. They know it's not going to happen in three years. Mm-hmm. They hope it happens maybe 2025 is sort of the – it's not really a hard set yep. target date even at that. So. We know that there's a long way to go, and these new numbers indicate that as well. I mean, even if there's improvement, there's still a lot of ground to cover.
1: Fair enough. Great report. Head over to the website and check that out. One more big topic I want to get to this week uh, before we uh, shut it down for Labor Day. I want to talk. uh, look ahead to the 2018-2019 budget. Uh, You kind of previewed it at the very beginning of the podcast, but Superintendent Ibarra uh, gave an early look. Uh, At her budget, as she has done the last couple of years, I really view this as adding a layer of transparency to the complicated budget-setting process. Uh, The public school budget is the largest general fund budget by far each year in the state. Uh, So without any further ado, Kevin, uh, tell me what Superintendent Ibarra is asking for and asking, is she going to be asking for more or, or less money for public schools?
0: She's asking for more. But what she's asking for is really kind of a a hold the line, uh, stay the course budget. The numbers are, they're significant. I mean, we're talking about a $113.6 million increase in K-12 spending. That translates to 6.8%. It would nudge the K-12 budget close to the $1.8 billion mark. Those are all big numbers. But um, as Ibarra pointed out when she unveiled the budget proposal on Friday, there are A lot of this money just goes to cover enrollment growth, and a lot of this money goes to continue programs that we've seen since 2013 and Governor Otter's uh, K-12 task force. So you're seeing a $46 million request to fund the next year of the teacher salary plan, the career ladder. You see some money to expand the Advanced Opportunities Program, which seems to be growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, You see a little bit more money for... um, college and career counselors at the high school level. You see an increase in funding, uh, operational funding for school districts with an eye towards helping them pay for these ever-rising insurance premiums. So not a whole lot of new initiatives there. The only thing that I would consider to be a new initiative, and it's not a new idea, we've heard this from the, uh, the superintendent before, her idea to start a rural education support network, $300,000 request that has generated... An outsized debate, considering the amount of money we're talking about. She has tried to get this through the legislature the past two years. Uh, it has stalled out in the Senate both times. The Senate wasn't even interested. It really, has not gotten a hearing in the Senate, uh, let alone a vote. She's going to try that again. And, and again, all of these budget requests and all of these budget debates, you're going to have to look at them in the backdrop of politics because it's all going to unfold in these next few months in an election year. It's what the the superintendent unveiled on Friday, and you can download the spreadsheet for yourself uh, at our website. This is the first step. Come January, uh, the governor will submit his budget proposal. That's uh, the way the legislative session starts every year, the first Monday of the legislative session. Then the legislature kicks in, spends the next couple of months listening to uh, the superintendent's request, reading the governor's request, coming up with their own budget bills. So Somewhere in about six or seven months, we'll have the actual bottom line budget set. This is your first look at where the budget may fall and where the superintendent is hoping to see the budget fall.
1: Yeah. It's kind of the starting point, the jumping mm-hmm. off point yeah. for the conversation. I think that covers uh, all of our top stories for this week. I think you might have a little bit more coming uh, on the budget oh, in yes. the next couple yes. of days, right? We'll
0: follow up on the budget here in the next few days. Uh, we'll be able to sit down with Superintendent Nabarra, break these numbers down. I want to also talk uh, to some other folks who watch these budgets closely. We have the first cut of the budget story online
1: today, but we'll have more next week. All right. Sounds good. I think everything's in good enough hands that I could maybe take off for a couple of weeks and leave you yeah, in yeah. charge, right? Yeah. Uh, you're,
0: you're on vacation the next two weeks, uh, traveling abroad and going on a an overseas adventure. I will be uh, holding down the fort here on the podcast. Next week, we will have a guest, uh, Beth Oppenheimer, the, uh, the the Idaho Association for the Education of Young Children, probably the preeminent uh Advocate for pre-K in the state. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're also going to talk about her, her side gig as a, a newly elected, a recently elected member of the Boise School Board. So we'll talk about that. Uh, I'll talk about that. Talk about all those topics. Uh, looking forward to having her as a guest. We'll. Uh, I'm hoping to line up a guest for the following week, and then you will be back in a couple of weeks, and we'll be back to more of a regular formatted
1: podcast. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much. We always have a lot of fun uh, here with the Extra Credit Podcast. I know Kevin has fun stuff in store for the next two weeks while he will be in charge. In the meantime, you can always catch up on all of our latest breaking news by following at IdahoEdNews on Twitter. We post out links to all of our stories. We live-tweet the big events and big meetings and big debates of the day. Uh, so that will get all the more important as we get closer to the 2018 legislative session and the all-important May 2018 primary elections. In the meantime, thank you so much uh, for listening. I'm Clark.
0: I'm Kevin. Have a good week.